Hey, um, I want to welcome you guys here. My name is Tony. Um, I'm the EM pastor. If you guys did not know, welcome. We are appreciative of your presence here, and we have a word for you uh, today as we look into it. We are in a series that's called Daring to Draw Near, and the heart of this series is this. It's encountering God's presence and seeking transformation, Right? What we, what we want you guys to recognize is that we, we call ourselves Christians, we're, we're believers, and we believe in this unbelievable, sacred, unique, holy, distinct, otherworldly God. And if you're going to get into contact with this God, there is, it is an impossible fact that you will be transformed. It's without a doubt you will be transformed, but the only difference is between those who have been transformed by God and those who haven't is those who have dared to come into contact with him, to seek his presence. And I've shared with you for the past three weeks that sometimes seeking his presence is not always pleasant, right? Sometimes when you come into contact with the living God, it's not a very pleasant feeling, but it's in that uncertainty, it's in that unpleasantness that we begin to shake the foundations of our lives so that we can be shaped and remolded into the image that he's made us to be. It transforms us. You cannot be transformed by just willy-nilly going through life. There must be an abrupt change. There must be some sort of contact. There must be some sort of awakening. And that is what it means to draw near to God. We want to see sons and daughters transform, not just going through their whole entire 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s with the exact same faith they had coming out of youth group. We want to see depth. We want to see growth. We want to see people who are transformed by the Lord. And last two weeks, I shared with you that when you, begin to dare, when you begin to dare to draw near to God, one of the first things that happens to you, one of the first things that begins to happen to you to bring this transformation is that you will face trials. The Bible says, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials of every kind. Because God says this, I, I will save you as you are. Come as you are. But I will never leave you as you are. You cannot be satisfied with where you're at. There is so much more that I have in store for you. And the only way to get you from this to this is I bring these trials into your life to take you into a deeper transformation. When you dare to face God, when you dare to engage and to draw near to God, one of the things that is very crucial that will happen is that you will face trials. It will come. Only to do what? To get you deeper. Some people, they face their trials head on. Others, they run. And when you run, you find your Christian life, you find your walk with God, you find your experience with God, you find your relationship with God constantly at a standstill. I also share with you that when you begin to dare to draw near to God, one of the things that begins to happen is that what? You will face suffering. Suffering will come. Now, God is not the author of suffering. God does not desire for his people to suffer. But when you are engaged in suffering, he is always in control of it. Suffering is the result of the brokenness of this world and the culmination of broken people doing broken things, creating an aspect of suffering. God did not desire that. That was not his plan. But he is sovereign to be in control of that. And we learn that in the midst of suffering, why do we undergo suffering? Why does suffering begin to happen? The perspective that we ought to have when we face suffering is that we learn, we learn to have the right perspective of who he is compared to who we are. We, we, it, it reveals our true hearts towards him. For a lot of us, we say that, you know, I believe in God, I believe in God, I believe in God, but when suffering hits, God's outside the picture. You don't even think about him. He doesn't even come up. It's everything around you. 
Suffering comes. God is not the author of suffering, but it is not outside of his control. And if you face suffering, the way the Christian calls us to face suffering, you will have the right perspective. Suffering is used. God uses the suffering to give you the right perspective of him, to reveal your true heart towards him, and to lean fully upon him. And today I want to share with you one more aspect. And if you're thinking so far, like, yeah, coming into God's presence is not very pleasant. That's the point. In order to be transformed, it cannot be easy. And there's a third part today I want to share with you that when you dare to draw near to God, your faith will be tested. Your proclamation of your faith and your belief will be tested. And we're going to learn through the life of Joshua and the walls of Jericho, the story of the walls of Jericho, I'm going to give you the background of the story, and I'm going to draw out two things, two questions of how to go through our faith, how, how, to, how to engage when our faith is being tested, how to actually get through that well, how are we going to get the courage to face our test of faith, and how are we going to get the way to do it, Okay. Two things I want you guys to draw from this, um, from this passage that we're about to read is how are you going to get the courage to face your test of faith, because it will come, and two, how are you going to get the way to do it? You guys follow me? All right? And I pray, I pray that today's word will convict you and give you strength to face and to test your, to, when your faith is tested, to pass your test. Let's bow our heads before we, uh, we, we get into this uh, story. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this morning and this, uh, this time together with the brothers and sisters and friends and family of TLC. Father, we confess to you that our lives and our relationship with you is sometimes, oftentimes, so minimal at best. Lord, there's so much deeper that you call us to be into. And I just pray that, Lord, these, this series, this sermon, would awaken the heart of your people. Lord, use me unworthy as I am to share your word. Father God, your will will always be done with or without us. And so, Father, tonight I pray, today I pray, may your will be done in this preaching of your message. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you dare to draw near to God, your faith will be tested, all right? Let's look at the story of Joshua. Joshua goes like this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6, it says this. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of their ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. What is the background? In order to understand like, the faith being tested and how to actually uh, have the courage to deal with it and have the way to deal with it, you got to understand the background and story of Joshua because this is a climatic point in Joshua's life. But the climatic point came from all of this background baggage that came with it, right? So if you understand the context, you're going to be able to really see the power in this passage. Now, the story goes like this. The people of Israel, the story, the narrative of Joshua, the history of God's people was that they had been slaves in Egypt for centuries, hundreds of years they were there. They cried out to God, and finally God led them out of Egypt. He brought them a deliverer, Moses, and he brought them out of Egypt to be placed into their ancestral land, Canaan. 
They've been gone for about 400 years. Right? They used to be there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob used to be there, but they left 400 years later. They finally returned. And of course, when they come back, what happens? There are people in the land. People who have built cities, people who are kings now, people who are building four to five nations. And then what happened? God says, go in, I'm going to lead you in there, and you're going to take the land. Every single city, every single place. And the first city that they will encounter is the city of Jericho. That's the first one. And Jericho was a fortified city, a walled up city. Right? If you guys ever watched the would you call it anime? I don't know, the cartoon Avatar, right? Uh, the best example of that would be like the walls of Ba Sing Se, right? If that, if that illustration was too young for you, here's the second one. If you ever watched Game of Thrones, right? The walls of Jericho is like the massive ice wall that divides the kingdom of the north from the wildlings. You guys see the picture? That was Jericho. Massive, fortified, impenetrable, unbreakable, an impossible city for the people of Israel to get into. Now, the narrative goes that we just read is that that evening, Joshua went up to look at Jericho. He went out. The whole camp was camped out. He walked up by himself. An old man now, 85-year-old general, walks up to the area, and he, and he gazed upon Jericho. And you know why he was gazing upon Jericho? Because it wasn't the first time he saw Jericho. Forty years ago, when they came out of the land of Egypt, Moses sent him and 11 other guys to scout out the land. And when they came back, right, when they came back and they saw Jericho and they saw all the lands, 10 of the spies said, the land is beautiful, flowing with milk and honey. But the problem is the people who live there, they're powerful. The cities are fortified. And Joshua, as he's staring at the walls of Jericho, he remembers. He remembers what him and Caleb did. They ripped their shirt and they said, before these guys, they said, we can go. We can definitely take it. Do not be afraid. But the other 10 spies kept crying out, these men in Jericho, these, these, these warriors there, we're like grasshoppers to them. They're giants compared to us. We will die if we go in. And so these 10 other spies sent by Moses came in and they started you know, um, getting all the people riled up. And all the people began to say, like, Moses, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We should have just died as slaves because now you brought us up out of here to do what? Just to die out here. We're pretty much dead. And, I remember, and, and Joshua, remembering that moment, as he stares upon Jericho, he remembers what? Him and Josh, him and Caleb tore their shirts and they said this, do not rebel against the Lord by being afraid for the Lord is with us. But they didn't listen. The people of God were faithless in that moment. And so God was not with them. They tried to go out and fight, but they lost the battle this is what God said, I will forgive them for their faithlessness, but none of them will see the promised land, except for you, Joshua, and you, Caleb. They will walk for 40 years until that entire generation is wiped out because they show contempt to me. They have seen me part the Red Sea. They have watched the pillar of fire follow them by night. They have watched the pillar of cloud follow them by day. They have seen manna fall to the ground. They have tasted my good works, and yet still at this moment, they stand in contempt of me. They're afraid. So I will wipe out that generation. 40 years they will walk. But you, Joshua, you, Caleb, you will enter. And 40 years later, they return. Joshua is an old man now. Caleb was about 85, so Joshua must be just as old. But Joshua has risen to the ranks of general at this time, no longer a spy, no longer a foot soldier. He is the general of Israel. He goes out and he looks at the wall, the first of the many cities that he's going to have to take down by decree of God. And he remembers the words that God said, fear is rebellion. But he's looking at the wall and he's thinking what? This is a big wall. This is an impenetrable wall. This is hard. How are we gonna do this? 
How are we going to even make a dent into this? He's staring at the walls of Jericho. He's seen the promise of God. He knows that he has been kept alive for this moment. But in this moment, his faith is being tested because he's wondering to himself, I'm supposed to lead my men into battle, and yet I have no idea how we're even going to get past this wall. And I think a lot of us, we face moments like that when our faith is tested, right? You you find yourself in a position thinking it's going to be impossible, right, to uproot my whole family and start over in another part of the country. You're thinking to yourself, that's too costly. I'm too afraid to do all that again. Or you might be put in a position by God thinking that it's going to be impossible to change my whole entire career. Like now, God? I've been, in, I've, been, I've been working, I've been going to school for this thing, and now you're asking me to change? It's too costly. It's impossible. I'm too afraid. Or you might be put into position thinking, facing the impossible sacrifice of all your comfort to take on the call that God has for you. And you're thinking, it's too costly. I'm too afraid. Or you might even be getting put into position thinking it's going to be impossible to simply trust God at his word and do what his word tells me to do. You're thinking, this is too costly. I'm too afraid. And so you stand before the walls of Jericho, just like Joshua stood before the walls of Jericho. You, you know in your heart you're supposed to go forward. But your eyes, your, your, your instincts, what you have grown to know is telling you this is hard. This is going to cost too much. You're afraid. And all the while... As Joshua stares at Jericho, he remembers the word of the Lord that says, fear is sin and rebellion. Your faith is being tested. There is fear. You're counting all the cost in your mind. You're doing all the calculation. You're wondering to yourself, how am I going to do this? How can I even step into this? And that's the question I want you guys to again think about. How are we going to get the courage to face our test of faith? And how are we going to get the way to do it? How are we going to get the courage to do it? First point. Look at verse 13 and 15 again. So here he is. He's standing before the walls of Jericho. All these thoughts going through his mind. All these impossibilities. All these warfare tactics that he's been trying to play out. And it just seems so impossible. Too costly. He's thinking a lot of men are going to die tomorrow. What are we going to do? Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. How are we going to get the courage to face the testing of our faith? How are we going to get the strength to take that one step into the testing of our faith? Because it is the testing of your faith that will transform you. But a lot of times when we are faced with our test, so many of us, we run. So many of us, we calculate. So many of us, we take another route. When all the while God says, this is it. How do we have the courage to face the testing of our faith? And the first answer is this. You have to be able to see the holiness and the greatness of your God. You have to be able to see the holiness and the greatness of your God. Do you know what happened? Joshua went up. He's walking. He's a general, okay? So he's walking with his armor, his suit. He has his sword. He's walking up, and he sees this formidable foe standing before him. And this guy draws his sword already. And so general, Joshua is not some chicken guy. He walks up to this guy. The Bible says he went up to him, to this formidable-looking man, pretty much saying this, the battle is before us. Either you are for us or you are against us. You have two choices right now, for us or against us. I am the general of the people of Israel, God's people. Either you bow down to me or we're going to have words at this moment. You only have two choices. And what does this command of this man with this formable, this formable presence, what does he say? He whispers the word, neither. 
I am neither for you nor against you. I am not someone who is for or against anybody. People are either for me or they are against me. But as commander of the Lord's army, I have come. And Joshua does what? He hits the deck. He bows his head and he says, command me. He says, command me. What message do you have for your servant? Tell me what you have. And what did the figure say? The figure said, take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. And in that moment, he knew he is standing before the Lord himself. He knew because the same words that were whispered to Moses before the burning bush was take off your sandal for where you stand is holy ground. He knew that he was in the presence of the uncreated one. He knew that he was in the presence of the holy one. He knew that this God before him was the true general commander of the army, not him. And he bowed himself down. Yes, command me. Do you guys understand this? You got to, in order to have the courage to face the testing of your faith, you have to be able to see the reality of the holiness of your God. Do you know who he is in comparison to you? Let me give you some thoughts here, okay? When we think about God, most of the time we think about the word, what? Love, okay, love, right, love. We think about love, right? I love God. God is so loving to me. He makes me feel great. It's such a sweet God, such a great God. But do you understand that if God is not holy, if he's not distinct, if he's not unique, if he's not set apart, if he's not otherworldly, if he is not sacred, his love means absolutely nothing. His love is only powerful because of all the other things. Because he is unlike anyone you've ever known. Because no one is like him on earth. Because nothing compares to him. God is a holy God. And we treat God like he's our assistant. Let 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 me take a little bit further to explain holiness to you. When Moses asked God many years ago, God, who do you say, who am I supposed to tell people sent me? God said what? He couldn't look at anyone else to compare himself to. He couldn't look at this person or that person and say, ah, I'm like her or I'm like them. He said what? I am that I am. Who sent you? There's no word to describe me. Who sent you? There's no way to bound me up into your description. Who sent you? There is no way that you can even fathom who I am. So the only thing that I'm going to point to to describe myself is myself. I am that I am. That is who sent you, right? How about one step further? In the book of Isaiah, we see the heavens open. We see a glimpse into the very heavenly throne. And we see Isaiah seeing the throne of God and the angels, the seraphims before God, flying with six wings, they said. The Bible says, with two wings, they cover their eyes. With two wings, they cover their feet. With two wings, they flew. And every day and night, they cry out to the Lord, to the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The seraphim, the, the, the throne guardians, those who have been as closest to the very presence of God, these angelic beings, these divine beings, these holy hosts, if I was to take that host And if you were ever to even see one, you would probably go mad at the very sight of one because their greatness will blow your brains away. And if you had to take that image of this angelic form before the throne of God and you compare it to a single amoeba and you ask the question, who of these two are closer to God? And the answer is what? Neither. Because the angel, the creature flying in heaven close to God in his very presence is still a creature that lives and breathes and beats because God wills it. There is no one like our God. There is none, his distinctness, his uniqueness, his otherworldliness, his sacredness is beyond anything you've ever imagined. If you have such a small view of God, you will never face your test of faith correctly. But if you have the view of God, of who he truly is, your test of faith comes easy. I'll give you one more example. Do you know that the distance between the earth and um, the sun, if we had to uh, compare it to a piece of paper, it is like the thickness of, if the, thic- if the um, distance between the earth and the sun is like a, the thickness of a piece of paper, the distance between the earth and the next closest sun is 70 f- feet worth of paper. 
You guys follow? And the thickness of our galaxy, the diameter of our galaxy, would have a stack of paper that's about 310 miles high. And the Bible says in Hebrew 1 that God holds all of these together by the word of his power. It says that God holds the whole universe together by the word of his power. If Jesus Christ holds the universe together with just a pinky of his, do you ask such a being to simply be your assistant? To simply come and say, make my life happy? Make things great for me? Fulfill my needs? Do you ask someone like that to be your personal assistant? Make me feel love, please? Make my life better, please. He is the God of the living universe. No, he is not a God that deals with your agenda. You are a person that deals with his agenda. He is not a God to be trifled with. He is not small. He is not tiny. He is not compact. He is not describable. He is not something that you can form and bound together. He is a holy God. And so when you have the wrong impression of your God, You're going to face your test of faith, and you're going to be like, I'm not sure this is going to work. But if you understand the God that you have, that ultimately it's his agenda, not yours. It's his plan, not yours. It's his destination, not yours. The real question that you have to ask is, are you for him or are you against him? Either he comes as a general or nothing at all, right? And now you guys are asking the question, well, how does... does Knowing the holiness of God, the, the uniqueness of God, the sacredness of God, the distinctness of God, how does that even help me face my test of faith? How, did, how does that even help Joshua come to the test of faith? Think it through. When your world is falling apart, when families are broken because of a father who fails to be a father in the home, when social media becomes a place that cancels you at every turn, when that closest friend stabs you in the back, when that boyfriend or girlfriend turns and breaks your heart, when the stress of school and life piles upon your shoulder and you can't imagine carrying any more stuff and you're trying to reach out and cling on to something that will hold you, something that's consistent, something that is strong enough to get you through this and you realize that everything that you can cling to will fade away or pass or disappear. What you need, what you need is the rock the strong tower, the one who does not change because he is nothing like anything you've known, the general of God's army, the one who does not sleep or tarry. This very same God who has saved you, who has brought you from the pit of death after saving you, entrusted you to no one but himself. The Bible says he holds you in his hand and nothing can take you from his hands. Even if all the hordes of hell comes and tries to rip you from his hands, And they all, they amass a mighty army just to attack you himself. The Bible says what? In the presence of God, there are nothing but a drop of water in a bucket. This God holds you. This God is for you. And this very same God is the God that you have to recognize when you face your test of faith. You guys get it? Your courage, listen guys, your courage is not based on some sort of emotional will that you can kind of conjure up. Your courage to face something difficult in your life is not an emotional thing that you're like, okay, I can have strength. Your courage is only accomplished when you hold on to the one who is holy, when you see the one who is holy and great. It, it, that alone gives you the power to get through it. That alone gives you the strength to deal with it. I'm going to give you, I had a, I had a conversation with a, a Chinese church planner this, this weekend, right? Or this past week. Um, he's, he's, he, you know, we were just talking and he, he said, I truly believe the next three years, he said, next three years, there's going to be about 50,000 Chinese immigrants coming over to this country. I was like, 50,000? Are you sure? He's like, yes. So why do you say that? He says, because of the ones he has now in his church. He's talking about how difficult, how restrictive they are in their homes, in, 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 in China. You know, like he, he shares stories about when, when they're in, in the taxi, there's cameras all over watching them, just 
waiting to see if they will say something wrong. If they say something wrong, they'll cancel the visa. They won't be able to come. They'll make it very difficult. And I tell them, why do they want to come here? Like, there's other countries to go to. Why can't, why can't they go to, like, you know, like Korea or Europe or any of those countries? He says, this is it. This is what he says. He said, they come to this place because it's still the best place to come for. It's still the best place to come for someone who is a minority in the world. Most countries do not want them. They have the courage. They, some of the plans that he, some of the people in this church, they had to go down from Mexico to come up from Mexico to come up here. I know, I was like, what? Are you serious? Like, yes. Because they knew, they, they were willing to take the risk, they were willing to test whatever faith they had because in their heart, they knew that this place was the place. This was it. This is where they're going to find real freedom. And in the same way, church, I'm, I'm trying to tell you this. You will have your faith tested. God's going to call you to do something, to live a certain way, to act a certain way that is going to be contrary to everything you've ever known, to think a certain way that's contrary to everything you like, anything that kind of instinctively that you've been drawn to or known, and you're going to ask yourself, is this good enough? It's going to cost me too much. I might get canceled. I might get fired. I might lose my job. I might even lose my marriage sometimes if I do this. Is it? How do I have the courage to do it? And then you remember My God, my God has a plan. It's his plan. What he calls us to do, church, is not simply to make our lives great. It is to carry forward his plan. It's his agenda. It's his desire. When, you, when God calls us to live uh, uh, as husbands, to present our wife blameless before God, it's not just so that we can have a happy wife, happy life, okay? That's not the point of it. Does it happen? Of course it does, right? That's the resulting issue that comes out of it. But the heart of it, why? His plan, his agenda to present your wife blameless before God, why is that? That you would raise up a generation that continue a spiritual legacy that passes on from one to the other. And you cannot do it with your children if you can't even start with your spouse. There's a plan to God. It's his agenda, not yours. And so we begin to obey. When we begin to open the word, and we're like, this seems so backwards. It seems so contrary to what I'm used to thinking, how I used to feel, how I, how I go through life. It's so awkward. But if this is the God that holds the whole universe in his hands, the whole universe in his hands, do you not believe that his word is meant to bring something even greater? Joshua understood. So what did he do? He bowed his head. And he says, command me. Tell me what to do. How are we going to get the courage to face our test of faith? One, see the holiness and the greatness of God. Here's the second thing. How are we going to get the way to do it? What, what are we supposed to do? How, what is our practical action? The action is this. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. It says, now Jericho, was it getting hot in here? Oh my goodness. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams and horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. How are we going to get the way to do it? Obey his way, not yours. Right? We may say to ourselves, okay, I believe in God, he is holy, he is distinct, he is unique, he is otherworldly, he is beyond me. There's things about him that I cannot possibly fathom and there are things that he knows that I can't possibly understand yet. Okay, what are you telling me to do, God? I want you to take down the walls of Jericho. Okay, let me do it my way. 
Let me do it with my plan. See, Jared, Joshua's thinking what? Battling rams, siege towers, everything you need to actually fight a war. Everything you need to actually go into and make the war happen, and yet, what was the command? Walk. Walk. And you can imagine Joshua thinking, what? Like, are we gonna like dig a trench? And we're gonna dig the walls so they die or something? Like, what do you mean walk? Walk. For six days, I want you to walk around the city. You and all your men, just walk. That's the plan, God? That's the plan. That seems backwards. That's the plan. I don't think that's gonna work. That's the plan. I think I have a better plan. Not your plan, my plan. My plan, walk. Walk around the city. And on the seventh day, walk around it more times. And then, scream. That's the plan. Walk and scream, right? It's like being a baby, just walk and scream, right? When we have our test of faith, what do we like to do? I'll figure out the plan. I get it. That's the end goal, God. Take down Jericho. I got you. Let me figure out the plan. We'll build some rams. We'll build some some towers. We'll get some grappling hooks. I'll I'll make it happen, Lord. We'll we'll do the whole Trojan horse thing. We'll send in a fake thing. I'll find a way to make this happen. God says, no. Walk. How are we going to get the way to face our test of faith? You obey his way, not yours. You obey his way, not yours. Imagine our lives like this, right? We know before God, marriage is sacred. We, we, had, we just enjoyed a, a great wedding yesterday. Marriage is sacred. Miss marriage, the end go. Okay, I'll get married, God, right? But you got to do it my way. Yeah, I can figure it out my way too, Lord. Our way will work just as fine. You know, we're basically in love already. We're living together. No, my way. My way. To keep the marriage bed sacred, to build into your home something my presence into that place, my way. You know, when we do marriage counseling, I do marriage counseling with a lot of couples in our church, and I always tell them there's a purpose to marriage. And when you find yourself lost in the plethora of life, go back to the purpose, because that is how he designed it, to flourish it. So if you find yourself going through the motion Working each day, coming home to your wife and your husband, saying hi, chit-chatting, you know, putting the kids to sleep, laughing, enjoying a vacation every now and then, and then that tends to be the thing. You start feeling in your heart, there seems to be some sort of dullness and mundaneness about this, this rhythm. It seems like it's same old, same old. And God says, do marriage my way. My way. Your life real quickly, marriage, it says what? It is meant to reflect my image. How is is your relationship reflecting my image to those around you? Do people know you, know me because of you? Do they see me in you? If not, then work on that. Do marriage my way because that is purpose. That is a call. And when you begin to live your life like that, you you come home and you're excited to see each other because you're thinking like, yo, this happened to my coworker. They they saw me reading the Bible and they started coming up and talking to me. And now we're like doing this and I'm I'm counseling them in that area. And you, you come and there's an excitement and an energy and a purpose in the marriage. You build a spiritual legacy. My way, the Bible says. God says, make your marriage my way. Building a spiritual legacy. That these children you raise up, if you don't even have children, that's fine. That the people you raise up, as couples, are you discipling other couples? Are you teaching them? Are you showing them what it looks like to be in a real marriage? Not that fake stuff when you show up and everything's clean in the house, right? Because you want to make sure everyone looks great. I'm talking about like they show up and you look like, oh man, this is madness, right? This is real marriage. I didn't realize this, right? 
Like things all over the walls, chill toys, and you're stepping on Legos all over the place. Like, wow, right? And you know, you walk in and you see the husband and the wife, they give each other daggers, but you, and you don't want to say anything because you're trying to be, you know, uh, polite, but you know like, oh, something's going down, right? And, you're, and, you're, and some part of your mind, you're thinking, oh, our marriage will never be like this. All the while not realizing, oh, you know what? Actually, they show me something real. Something real. Have you, are, you, are you discipling? Are you building a spiritual legacy? Are you walking your children to see what it means to be a father and a, and a, and a mother? Are you teaching those around you what it looks like to be a husband and a wife? All the ups and downs of it. Not just the stuff you want to show. Not just the pretty stuff. Not just the perfection that you want to create. There's a purpose to marriage. A spiritual legacy that carries his name from one generation to the next. Purpose of marriage, right? Is that together you're carrying out God's kingdom's call. Mutually completing each other for God's kingdom. You bring this to the table, I bring this to the table. Together we have something that God's calling us to do. Let's do it together. Let's not, let's not just get lost in figuring out when the next vacation is at. Let's not get lost in figuring out when the next uh, um, uh, uh, fun event is at. But let's focus on asking the question, how are we building God's kingdom together? There's a purpose to marriage. Do it my way. See, the, the problem with, with some, a lot of us is that our obedience is so partial. And our obedience is basically, I will obey, but it's my way. I'll do it, but my way. I'll, I know the end goal that you want me to get to, so I'll do it my way. And God is saying, no, it's my way. I want you to walk, no matter how backwards it is, no matter how foolish you may think it is, no matter how impossible, no matter how much the people around you are telling you that's not how you do things, that is idiotic, that's not, that's not wise, that's not uh, smart. And yet the word of God tells us, this is how I want you to do it. Obey my way. I got a couple of examples here. From, I got this from actually from uh, Francis Chan, um, Crazy Love, chapter four, right? When he talks about the heart of a half-hearted Christian, a heart of distracted, partially committed Christian. See, a partially committed, half-hearted Christian would do what? Will attend church faithfully, regularly. Because why? That's what you're supposed to do, right? It's expected of you. You do it because you're supposed to be a good Christian. Technically, you're obeying. That's, you want me to go to church? Here I am, God. And yet the word of God says what? These people, they come near me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. You show up, but where is your heart? You show up, but every thought in your mind is what are you going to do afterwards? You show up, and you cannot wait to get out. And yet you say, I'm a good Christian. I've obeyed. The heart of a half-hearted, partially obedient, distracted Christian will do what? Will give money to charity. Will give money to the church. As long as it doesn't impinge on your standard of living. If I have a little extra, of course I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it willingly, because God wants a cheerful giver, right? I'm very cheerful. I have all this extra stuff, boom. No problem, God. And yet the word of God says what? King David replied to Aranah, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. That there's a cost to it. How about this one? As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And he says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. But I obeyed. I gave cheerfully. But you gave from your leftovers. You gave when it was convenient. You gave when it was extra for you. And yet, you're thinking, I'll obey, I'll give. Do it my way. My way. 
How about this one? Half-hearted, distracted believers, Christians, really don't want to be saved from their sin. They just don't want the penalty of their sin. Right? They don't really hate sin or truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. So so I'm not going to commit sin because I just don't want, you know, punishment. Not that you hate it. Not not, not that you despise it. Not that it actually repulses you. And yet the word of God says what? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You guys follow what I'm saying here? There is an obedience that God calls us to, but the obedience is not your way, it's his way. When you have a test of faith before you, you're telling, okay, I'll obey, but let me do it my way. And God says, no, you do it my way. What I have written for you in your word. How about this one? This is going to be pretty relevant in a little bit. Half-hearted, distracted believers, right? What do they do? Lukewarm, partially committed. They rarely share their faith. They rarely talk about it, okay? They don't want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. So if you want to talk about religion, we'll, we'll, we'll find a nice little spot and time and when all, all the stars align and you're in the right moment and I'm in the right moment, then I'll share with you something. I'll share. You say, I'll, I will obey when the right time shows up. I'll obey. Yet the word of God tells you what? Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. One more. Half-hearted, distracted believers. Half-hearted, distracted people will say stuff like this. Will do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to bear, they want to do the bare minimum to be just good enough without it requiring too much of them. I will obey just enough where I don't feel like, you know, it's, 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 you're asking too much. I, I, my, my feet's in the water. I'm, I'm there. Just enough. They ask, how far can I go before it's considered a sin? How can I keep myself pure as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Instead of asking, of how can I keep myself pure as a temple of the Holy Spirit? They ask, how much time should I spend praying and reading my Bible instead of, I wish I didn't have to go to work so I can sit here and read longer? Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generally as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Not to do the bare minimum, but to give all. How, church, are we going to get the way to do this? You have to obey his way. Now, I don't know what you guys are going through right now. I don't know if you're facing a test of faith yourself. I don't know if you're struggling over a decision that you have to make. I don't know if God's kind of impinging on your heart something you ought to be doing, but you keep pushing it aside. I don't know if there's like an actual word that God has been trying to say. I need you to listen. I've been repeating it over and over through my servants, through your word, through my word. Every single place you have come across, I keep repeating this. I need you to listen and to obey. So but you keep saying, I'm scared, Lord. It costs too much. It seems too outside of my control, my reach. And all of the while, it's like, it's not your agenda. It's my agenda. I am the living God, not you. The question you have to ask is, are you for me or are you against me? Because if you are for me, then step into it. If you are for me, then step into it. How am I supposed to step into it? Obey me. Obey me as I tell you. I know it sounds backwards. I know it sounds impossible. I know it sounds crazy, but obey it my way. And I promise the word of God is so good because it tells us that when we obey, we will see. Maybe not right away. 
But eventually what we will see is the beauty of the obedience, taking fruit, being planted in the seed and bearing fruit later on. Obedience is never always, you'll see the fruit right away, but you'll see it later on, right? It always takes time. Everything that bears fruit takes time. So my prayer for you, church, is this. When you dare to draw near to God, you will have your faith tested one way or another, one question or another, one situation after another. Your faith will be tested. And my prayer for you when you faith, your faith gets tested is that you recognize it's not about me, it's about his agenda. If this is what he wants to do, if this is what he wants, then I will be a part of that. See, when we, when we battle against God, when we kept saying no, it's because why? We want our agenda. We want God to fit our, we want God to be our assistant. Just love me, make me feel great, show up and help me when you can. You know, if you don't, it's okay, I can figure it out too. But if you show up, thanks, I'll give you some lip service, I'll give you a little prayer of thanksgiving. But he is the God of the universe. He is not an assistant to anyone, especially to you. And the sooner you recognize that, the sooner you begin to say the question, that's who you are. Then command me, tell me what you would want me to do. And when you know it, whether it's how to live in your relationships, how to pursue your career, what to do with your finances, how to raise your kids, how to focus on your character. When he speaks, obey his way, not yours. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ did what? He says, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And I pray that that's our heart as well. Let's pray.